0: Welcome back. Welcome back, Financial Feminists. We are so, so, so glad you're here. Thanks for joining us yet again. If you're an oldie but a goodie, welcome back. If you are new to the show, well, welcome. Happy to have you. Before we dive into today's episode, we want to remind you about uh, some of the resources outside of the Financial Feminist podcast. First up, we have a YouTube channel where you can watch videos from each episode. If you're the kind of person who wants to see the faces that the voices are coming out of, then head on over to our YouTube channel Second, we have show notes for every single episode. They're detailed. They give you links and places to go to learn more and to deep dive further on these topics. We always link them in the episode notes, the like description of the episode. And this is where you can find those resources, links for guests, and so much more. We're also always causing some mayhem on social media. So if you are not following at HerFirst100K on Instagram or TikTok, what what you doing we would love to see you over there and if you are that person who's maybe been kind of passively listening to the show and you're like okay i'm actually finally ready to apply some of these things or i'm ready to figure out where i should go to start you can go to herfirst100k.com/start we give you a step by step guide through actualizing your money goals figuring out where you're at in your financial journey and then how you can do things like pay off debt invest save money be a more mindful spender all of that is at herfirst slash start. All right, I am so excited to bring on today's guest who is a friend of mine. We go way back in the personal finance community. He and I have been supporters of each other's work for a long time, and I am even more excited because y'all have been asking for it. We've gotten voicemails and emails and direct messages on carrier pigeons and all of the rest of it about how to manage finances as a family how to manage finances with a partner, how to teach children to be financially minded. And as someone who does not have children, I can only offer so much. So we reached out to our good friend Andy Hill from Marriage, Kids & Money to join us for today's episode. Andy Hill is an award-winning family finance coach behind Marriage, Kids & Money, a platform dedicated to helping young families build wealth and happiness. Andy's advice and personal finance experience have been featured in major media outlets like CNBC, Forbes, Market Watch, Kiplinger's Personal Finance, and NBC News. With millions of podcast downloads and video views, Andy's message of family financial empowerment has resonated with listeners, readers, and viewers across the world. When he's not talking money, Andy enjoys watching his kids play soccer, singing karaoke with his wife, and watching Marvel movies. We have a great time during this episode talking about Andy's journey to financial independence or FIRE, which we'll explain in the episode, how he teaches his kids about money and how he and his wife stay on the same page about finances, as well as like some of the challenges that they've had and how they've overcome those conversations and overcome those challenges. Andy is one of the kindest people. We go way back. He's just been such an incredible support of our work and is so not only well-spoken, but just so good at like... At drilling down on these topics and making them incredibly accessible. His heart for teaching financial literacy is just so big. There's so much to take from this episode. Whether or not you plan on having children or have children, there is something to learn from him today, every day, all day. Let's go ahead and get into it. I have been privileged enough and lucky enough to come on your show a couple times, and now that I have a I have a show, and especially coming out more frequently, I knew I had to have you on, so I'm so excited to have you. Thanks for being here.
1: Well, thank you. I really appreciate that, and, and gradu- congratulations on your success. Uh, I think what you're doing is really cool, and it's something that is new, uh, but it, it needs to be the conversation out there, so I'm I'm, I'm happy to be on it.
0: I really appreciate it. Yeah, you and I have you and I go way back in the personal finance community.
1: Yes, I will I will thank you for hiring me uh for uh freelance writing very early on in my in my journey. So thank you. Thanks for giving me a shot.
0: Oh, of course. Oh no, I was I was, yeah, I was uh working at a fintech company that was my nine to five when I was running her first hundred K on the side. And then yeah, I went to my boss and I was like, Andy's really great. We should hire him to freelance write. So, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, we go way back. I think I met you at FinCon. I think that was the first time. We had met. And you already had the podcast and you were cooking. Yeah.
1: I was I was doing my best, trying. I think I was there in twenty seventeen was my first time. Yeah. So yeah, loving it.
0: Yeah. And I think that was my first one too. Maybe no, twenty eighteen. I think twenty eighteen. Yeah, first. Orlando. We're there. Yeah. Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Orlando. <exactly. laughs> I love to start this question, especially with other financial experts we have on the show. What is your first money memory? What is the first time you remember thinking about money?
1: Oh, I like that. Um, well, I like to think of it in two different ways. Uh, like you, I will attribute a lot of my success to my parents. Um, I am very blessed to have two great parents, and uh, I think of those memories that you're that you're talking about in two different ways. My mom. My first memory for my mom is uh, her taking me to get my first savings account uh, at, the, the, at the bank. We were living in Atlanta at the time. And I remember the little passbook uh, where you used to write your balances in it and stuff like that. And it was uh, it was one of those things where she talked to me about the importance of putting away money for a time when you're going to need it. And um, that stuck with me. So mom, definitely on the savings side. And then dad uh, definitely, uh, definitely um, had me... Know the importance of working hard, and if you want something, you got to work for it. And uh, he showed me why it was important to get get a job, uh, even at an early age. Um, I used to uh, hustle and <laughs> hustle and sell uh, Morley candy. It was like a, like candy boxes uh, for our football team. And hey, whoever sold the most candy gets the bike, right? And so, Dad's like, "Go for it, go for it!" And I uh, sold the most candy that year, and then the. Th- Three following years after that, so dad taught me the, the the hustle mindset. Mom told me the importance of saving, and I combined it. It, it all worked out. So
0: <laughs> I didn't realize I was talking to like four year running Willy Wonka.
1: Oh yeah, this was this is a uh, proper peewee football uh, candy selling. So um, I think that you know based on the amount of candy sales that I did, I probably should have gotten maybe ten bikes, but I got one bike. But that was good enough for me at the time, at, at being ten years old. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, for me, it it was very similar. It grew up. Yeah, it was like, I just actually had this memory now you're talking about. It. I haven't thought about, thought about this in years, but like they would send out like, I think like the Christmas books and you could order like wrapping paper. Do you remember these? Like yes, I, had I completely forgotten that these were a thing. And until they say, now. go hustle, kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I had forgotten about that till now it was yeah, you like sell wrapping paper or like it was Christmas gifts.
1: Now that I think about it, this it might be... Might be one of them uh, 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 using a lot of child labor to sell a lot of things. Uh. I
0: was just gonna say this seems a little suspicious. <laughs> well, and you know about my vending machines, of course, but yeah. that was like a voluntary thing. But like, yeah, I'm thinking about. I had completely forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. I think we were raising money for something, right? Hopefully, but, like, there was some nonprofit
1: was. or charity involved with either one of the things right. we were
0: doing, and not. Uh, right. And so, yeah, same with like line. Girl Scout cookies, or that <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. We're learning a lot of that from a pretty young age, I'm realizing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we need to do a whole episode about <laughs> that. I'm like, so. <laughs> you actually have been managing your money for a lot longer yes. than you think, yeah. you know?
1: Absolutely. Oh, it, it teaches man. entrepreneurship for sure.
0: Totally. One of the things we'll continue to talk about on the podcast is the FIRE movement. For those who haven't heard of it, it stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And depending on who you talk to, there's different goals and motivations. But I think largely the general goal is trying to make work optional, meaning that you don't have to work if you don't want to, right? That you have enough in investments, enough in savings, that you are what they call financially independent, meaning that you never have to work another day in your life if you don't want to. So for you, what initially interested you about the FIRE movement or about you know becoming financially independent?
1: Yeah, I heard about the FIRE movement. Probably six or seven years ago from a podcast, um, Financial Rockstar with Scott Allen Turner, a really, really cool guy. I didn't know anything about it. I said, what? You can make enough so I don't have to work this soul-sucking job that I have? Okay, this is very interesting. Um, and and it, it was all about the independence part. I was like, okay, wow, if I can become independent from needing to work, then I don't need to anymore. Um, And I was in a position at that time. I was a young dad. I was probably there's probably I had a four year old daughter and a two year old son. And I was working in a career that I really did not have a lot of passion towards. Um, It was one of those things where I had started working in event marketing when I was 22, and it was cool because you could travel around the country, travel around the world, and you know, and and do really cool things. Even I worked in luxury automotive marketing, so it's like, hey, I get to be with cool cars and travel around. That's really neat. But by the time you turn into a Married and you're da- and you're a dad. It's like okay, the the, the, l- the luster kind of loses itself. It's like okay, working weekends and doing all nighters. This isn't as fun anymore. And it wasn't always like that, but even sometimes it was. It was not as appealing. So I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I I need out uh, of this, but. We were used to making the money we were making. you know, my wife was a stay-at-home mom at the time, and I had two little kids. I had a lot of responsibilities. So the fire movement to me, when I heard about it was like, this is it. This is the way out. And uh, I, I quickly learned a lot more about it after that.
0: <laughs> what was like the initial the the thing that really hooked you besides like, yay, financial independence? like was there like a blog post? was there a podcast episode where you were like, oh, like this is possible potentially.
1: I think just generally, I, I've always been, you know, math centric or, or facts centric. So when you when you learn about the compound interest and you learn how, hey, if you invest this much, you can have that much by this time and you'd be able to have some freedom. Uh, wh- when you have a higher income, I think I was making at this time that I learned I'm may- maybe making $160,000 a year, like a really good income. I'm like, wow, if I could save half of this, I could be out of here in 10 years, Um, And so by hearing that math problem, I'm like, wow, this could be really fantastic. And then I could be able to do more of the stuff that I want to do. And so I I slowly started to bring this stuff up to my wife and she thought it was neat. uh, But also it sounded like a lot of deprivation to her. um, And it also didn't sound like a lot of fun. Um, But she loved me and she wanted the best for me. um, So she indulged some of my my madness (laughs) at the time.
0: <laughs> yeah. If I, I want to talk about this because you and I, I think, have similar perspectives of this. If I'm a listener and I hear $160,000, I go, well, I'm not making that. Right. So is financial independence possible for me? Because I think, I think for many years, right, there was the kind of like, it was the very stereotypical like tech bro who like bikes to work. Right. Or who makes, you know, who is somebody who is a high earner. And that's the only way it's possible. So can we talk about that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. And, and um, to some extent, I agree with that a lot uh, because because I like math and you look at the numbers, it's like, okay, you need to make a lot of money and invest a lot of it if you want to do this in a short period of time. And even for me, who <laughs> was making a really good amount of money, I quickly found out that it was very, very, very difficult to not need to work for another 60 years or whatever it is. And so I think it became disheartening for me, even at that level of income that I have. And I know that was higher than than a lot of people in our country. So I feel like what I transition into, and I and I hope that people do, I think that they could take the spirit of financial independence and FIRE and just create their own versions of it. Because that's what I ended up doing. I ended up quickly learning that, okay, I'm either going to make my wife so upset that she divorces me, or I'm going to like uh, deprive my children from the things they need. And it's, it, it just didn't seem like the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. And then I quickly realized, it's like, well, I don't want to do nothing. I want to contribute. I want to help people. I want to do something where I feel like I'm really giving back into the world. And so- my my mind sort of shifted into say, well, this is really nearly impossible for most people in our country. And that's why I think I started to create my own version of what financial independence meant for me.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the things that was really interesting to me when I started crunching my own numbers was it was like, it wasn't necessarily about how much you were making. It was about how much like you were the portion of your paycheck you were saving in addition to how much you were spending, right? It's obviously easier. It's way easier if you're making a substantial amount of money, right? But the one of the ways that you can increase, you know, your contributions or increase, you know, the the likelihood of you being able to retire even, you know, three years earlier or five years earlier is by figuring out like what are your annual expenses, And, you know, can I increase how much I'm contributing to my savings or investments by like a percentage of point, two percentage points, even 5%, 10% rate, like working up from there? Because, again, I hear like $160,000 and it's almost like, you know, I I put myself again in the shoes of the listener where I'm like, well, that's not possible for me. So I'm just going to like I'm not going to do any of it. And it's like, no, there's parts, of course, that you can do that you can contribute even if you're not making $160,000 a year, even if, you know, for me, like you don't you don't have a multi-seven figure business, right? There are things that you can do, again, to your point about like the spirit of financial independence, where it's, you know, strategies, of course, around saving and increasing your investments without you being like, okay, I can't do any of it. So I'm just not, I'm not going to worry about it. And finding out what financial independence means to you. So I know that you kind of switched from like going like, also, the wall. Like, I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna do fire to this idea of coast Fi. Can you explain, like, what the difference is and why you kind of slowed your role a little bit?
1: Absolutely. Well, with coast fire, essentially, what it says is, you know, save a bunch for your retirement, your traditional retirement, so that you get to a point in your call it your 30s or your 40s where you say, okay, I've invested enough where I could. I could choose to stop contributing to my traditional retirement accounts and with time and compound interest it's still going to take me to that million or multi-million dollar level that I need in my 60s so that I can traditionally retire comfortably and not worry anymore. That was actually pretty relieving for me to see when you did those calculations to say wow so, so for our family, we are, we have around $500,000, $550,000 at 40 in traditional retirement savings vehicles. If we just let time and compound interest do their thing for the next, call it 25 years, we'll have around $3 million. That's um, with like a 7% interest rate. So traditionally, the markets on 10% average would take 3% inflation. I know it's a lot higher lately, but on average, 3% still makes sense. 3 million dollars that that'll, that would with uh, the 4% rule that'll give us $120,000 per year to live on since we live comfortably right now on $60 to $70,000 here in lovely Michigan that's going to be plenty for us so that made me feel a lot more relieved so when i made that decision to say okay coast fire that's that's our version of financial independence and that makes us feel good now that we've taken care of retirement essentially creating our own pension and we paid off our mortgage all we really need to do now is just find work that we can enjoy and that takes care of our comfortable living expenses at that point i just felt wait i don't have to save 70 80 percent of my income and try to you know put it in a taxable brokerage and then try to live off of it in my i mean those are nice goals and all but i i think that coast fire lets us breathe out a little bit easier
0: Right. Well, in the definition, right, of the word coast, right, you're easing off the gas, right? So the idea is you've put enough money into a retirement account or into multiple retirement accounts that if you let compound interest do its thing forever, you can afford, right, to never contribute another penny if you don't want to. And yeah, that for a lot of people, that's much more um, attainable than saying, like, I'm going to completely retire and never work again at, you know, 35 or whatever age. Exactly.
1: And I love those stories. They're very romantic, and um, I li- I love romantic stories. But I mean, they're very difficult for most everybody. Even for a guy that was making some really good money for a period of time during the the crux of my career, um, I would say it's that that traditional definition is is very difficult. <laughs>
0: and 99.9% of the time it has some sort of privilege involved in it right so for like for me that is my story actually is i could retire tomorrow and never work another day and be fine but i'm also like i'm assuming that my life is not going to be any different like you know i have put in some buffer but you know i'm currently a single woman right who doesn't have children who doesn't have a spouse and so you know my my lifestyle probably will change eventually whether that's you know i, I don't know what that looks like yet But, you know, there's a ton of privilege in that of like, I, yeah, I don't have children. Also, I'm able bodied. I make good money now. I've built a business that supports me. So, there's a lot of factors to just financial independence in general. And, you know, we'll link it in the show notes, but there's like barista fire, right? Where this, you know, there's so many versions of financial independence. Barista fire is like, I'm working at Starbucks to like get my health insurance and to just make some money, but like otherwise I'm financially independent, right? So, there's so many variations of this and there's so many, um, like, different levers, I guess, that you're pulling, right, of, like, yeah, how much money is this person making? Where do they live, right? For me in Seattle, the cost of living is much higher, but also I don't have children, right? So there's a lot of different aspects or, or kind of... Um, Perspectives. I don't know.
1: It's like your own flavor. I mean, it's your own flavor of of, of financial independence. I think that's like like I know you talk about a lot. Uh, you know, everybody's situation's different. Personal finance is personal. It's um. There's no one right way. There's no one size fits all. And I think sometimes when content is created out there, out in the personal finance world, it's like this way or the highway. And I uh, yeah, I
0: don't really believe that. Yeah. Factors. I think is the word I'm looking for. We found it. <laughs> I'm over here like cussing up a storm trying to figure out what my word is. All right. Your podcast, Marriage, Kids, and Money. We'll talk about the kids in a second, but I would love to talk about marriage first. I know the story, but I want folks to know the story. And you kind of alluded to this already. Were you and Nicole, your wife, on the same page money-wise when you first met? And uh, if you weren't, how did you find compromises? Like, What did that look like trying to be two individuals who were coming together to manage their money?
1: Yeah. Yeah, when we got together, uh we had a lot of commonalities cuz we were young, we were in our 20s and we were just having lots of fun and we um we we both liked going out, having good times with our friends, you know, enjoying all of the money that we had coming in. Nothing wrong with it. Really no regrets at all. We got a certain amount we I think combined we were probably making 130 together. You know, she was making 70, I was making 60 and when we got married, it's like boom, double income. This is great. you know. Now we can have more fun together because we're living together. It was fantastic. And so with that, we would spend nearly all of it and just have a really good time. It really wasn't until we learned that we were going to be parents that something changed in my brain a little bit more and kind of reminded me of some lessons maybe that my mom taught me that, hey, maybe I should put away some more of this money or do things with this money to protect my family and give them a great future. And so for me, the first thing that popped up into my brain was, wow, okay, I accumulated $30,000 of student loans here. Nicole's got a car loan. Maybe instead of using all that 130 that we have combined, why don't we live on half of it and just clobber that debt so we can be Debt-free parents. When when we come into you know to when Zoe comes into the world, and so I brought this idea up to Nicole. I thought it was a great idea, and she's like, "That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. That sounds like you want to live on half of what we're bringing in. And why would we do that? And you know, and and so and, and for me, I'm like, no, no, no. If we eliminate the debt then we'll have a better future. And the, and then Zoe will have, you know, mom and dad won't fight as much. And she's like, good.
0: Right. And with, with the numbers, you'll save money eventually. Like it's going to be potentially uncomfortable right now or like temporarily it, uncomfortable. It me, It'll be better later. You're doing
1: the math thing again, being like, hey, if we have 50 now, we'll have zero. And then our net worth will go up. And she's like, I got to go to work. And so I'm like, okay,
0: well,
1: what did I do wrong? Let me try this conversation again. So I thought about it from her perspective. I'm like, she doesn't care about numbers like you do, Andy. Like, What does she care about right now? Well, she's at a job that she really doesn't like and she eventually wants to become a stay-at-home mom. She she's had that in in her heart. That's what she wants to do. Okay, why don't you reapproach this conversation a little differently? So I did, and I said, hey, Nicole, if we were able to do X, Y, and Z with our money over the next three years, we could build this sort of ladder for you to go from full-time at your job to part-time at your job to eventually stay-at-home mom. How would you like to? See how that plan could go. I'll, I'm going to get some pizza and some wine. Let's talk it over. And she goes, "That sounds good. Let's talk about that." So when I reassessed it from her perspective, the conversation went a lot easier. Instead of me trying to jam spreadsheets or whatever, just say, "No, no, no. I, I know more. I've read some books. You know, you know than you do." I, I, I just, I, I approached it from her shoes, and then the conversation went a lot better. And so from that point on we were able to work together on that specific goal but yes over the tw- 12 years of our marriage i have i've forgotten that fact quite a few times and that's uh that's let us down some 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 paths
0: <laughs> no but it, i i want to flag that that's one of the questions we get all the time of like how do i manage money with somebody else right how do i manage money in a couple like this is how you do it y'all right is One, you make it fun, right? You make it like an actual date where you're like, okay, it's something we can look forward to, right? Two is you're designating actual specific time to have a conversation about money. We talked about this, I believe in episode 11 around like financial self-care and making a money date, right, of like specifically rather than when she's leaving for work or when one of you is busy, right, it's like very specific designated time to sit down and have a conversation about money. And the third most powerful thing that you did is you brought in like, how are we going to use money as a tool to build the life that we both want, right? Rather than I just want this because of net worth or like, I just want this because I stay home mom. No, like how do we both collectively use money as a tool to create the life that we want? And I think beautifully you were like, okay, I've realized this is not going to motivate her. She doesn't give a shit. So like, what does she give a shit about? Right. What does she care about? Oh, she wants to be a stay-at-home mom. How can we use money as a tool in order for her to potentially have that? And like that's the key with all of this is like giving it a why, giving it a purpose, and finding like the commonality between you two of like, how can we have this conversation in a way that's productive and also exciting, not depressing or or scary or intimidating? So it's that was a beautiful example
1: and thinking of it from the benefits as opposed to the numbers too. It's like, don't think about debt freedom or getting rid of your student loans or living on a budget or whatever. Those are just numbered figures. It's like, what is that going to provide? Why would I be doing that? Oh, okay. I can work part-time at this job that I'm not interested in. I can eventually be at home with my kids. That's great. Or vice versa. I can have enough Uh, financial stability and strength to start that small business I've always wanted to do so I can get that those are the real reasons to do all of this stuff that we're talking about as opposed to the 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 financial numbers
0: right or the yeah the number on the paper you know becoming debt-free we have um we've had the debt-free guys on the podcast too and they're great and um we i think we all in the personal finance community all of us who are like-minded it's it's the why is so important both when you're getting started and they also talk about you know they actually went into credit card debt got out of it and then went back into credit card debt and they realized like the why is the thing that motivates you not just to set the goal but when things are hard right when you don't want to save any more money and when you're tired of continuing to pay off your debt it's the why that keeps you going right just like with any goal it's the you know oh, I want to feel stronger. That's why I get up and go to the gym every morning, right? Or like, I want to show up better in my relationships. That's why I keep going to therapy. So like, even when things are harder, right? Figuring out what that why is, is so important because it's not just going to be the thing that gets you started. It's the thing that maintains that consistency when shit hits the fan or when things are really difficult. And
1: it will, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I love that. That was a great example. For you, what has been like the biggest... Surprise when you and Nicole started managing your money together. Like, was there was there a moment that everything clicked?
1: I would say the biggest surprise for me early on was how long it took me to consistently think things from her perspective. Honestly, I, I think I'm a slow learner, <laughs> um, but I think for so long uh, I I would just see the mathematical answers of, okay, this is the right way. This will help us. And I really wouldn't think about it from her perspective. And for her, you know, when we think about different things, like living in a nice house or a nicer house for me, I, I, I grew up in a house and I liked it just fine for her. She grew up in a situation where uh, she grew up and with a single mom and three kids in a small apartment. And so for her, a nice house in the suburbs with your kids meant success for her. We've had a lot of conversations about this, uh, even in our, even in our, our, our therapy conversations as well. Uh, we ended up going uh, through some marriage counseling during some times where I wasn't listening very well and I was very pressed with my job. And uh, we ended up going to therapy for that. But through some of those conversations, I realized, wow, this stuff is a lot more uh, deeply rooted than I originally thought. And for myself as well, I have a lot of you know, reasons that I want to save or reasons that I want to do what I want to do. And it got a lot of stems from my childhood. And, and, and through some of those deeper conversations, I was able to learn a lot of that. And I have to continue to remind myself, this is why she's motivated the way she is. And this is why I'm motivated the way I am. That doesn't mean I should abandon the way I am. Uh, for all that she needs, I think it's important for us to bring both of those things to the table to say, here's what's important to me. Here's what's important to you. What is our way to find compromise in the middle where we can both have a little bit of what we want? And that becomes us as opposed to my way or your way. So I think, w- and, and we're able to do that best when we carve out time, to your point, Tori. This isn't in passing. This is dedicated. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna set aside some time in the morning before the kids get up to have coffee together, just to talk about the important things. We're gonna dedicate time on Sundays to to look over our calendar about what's going on in our budget to say, hey, how are we spending money in, in alignment for how we want to move towards the future that we want to have as a family? It's carving out that time, and when we don't carve out that time, that's when things get tight. That's when the fights happen. That's when you're being difficult i'm being difficult it's it's all just baking out the time so if if you want to be married or you want to have a really committed relationship a good relationship we got to bake out the time for it
0: yeah well and it's proactive rather than reactive and it's often from a place of excitement rather than i think typically when it's happening last minute it's uh yeah you have you have some beef with the other person right so yeah. Thank you for your vulnerability yeah, in that too. Yeah. I, I think it's so important to talk about therapy and talk about couples counseling. Like These are not bad, shameful things. These are good things that you do in order to improve your relationship. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You offered the perfect transition. You didn't even know it <laughs> about uh, these kind of money beliefs or the, the things that happen when we're young. So we know that research, and I talk about this more in my book, but that research has found that Kids are largely cemented in their money habits by like age seven. It happens really, really fast. So now, if we're transitioning to thinking about, okay, you know, the marriage, kids, and money part, talking about kids, what are some age appropriate ways to start introducing a healthier mindset about money? And what did that look like as your kids have continued to grow?
1: For us, we wanted our kids to understand how money works. And the best way for a child uh, to learn is to have some in their hands, right? So in order to have some in their hands, we wanted them to show some effort, you know, because that we want to show them that's where money comes from, right? You work hard, you get a reward. Uh, when they're when they're young, it's like give me candy, right? But hey, if you get the money, then you can get the candy, right? So for for us, we said,
0: or if you get the you get sell the candy, you get the that's bike. Right. So that's right.
1: you yeah, start with the candy, sell that, and then you get the reward. But for us, our, our quickest way for us to do that was allow them to do uh, age appropriate chores around the house because we had a lot going on at the house. So even at even at age four, I believe for my daughter Zoe, she was helping to put the laundry in the dryer, to use the little vacuum, to empty the little garbage cans, things like that with my help, of course. And then as she gets older, the the, the chores get a little bit more difficult, a little bit more age appropriate. But for every time that she would help out with a chore, we would give a dollar for every year that she was. So four years old, she'd get $4 a week, you know, and then my son, the same thing. And with that money, we would allow them to, uh, you know, spend it. Uh, we would allow them to save it, invest it, and also talk about giving as well. So, if right now at their age, they're 10 and seven. We use Ally because they're great. I love those digital buckets that they have. And we separate it into those four buckets spending, saving, investing, and giving. And with each of those buckets, we're able to have great conversations with them um, about the importance of spending smart, the importance of giving a portion, the importance of investing a portion. And, and, and saving as well. So each of those buckets end up being conversations because we feel like by giving them money and putting it in their hands, yeah, they're going to make mistakes with it, right? But it's better for them to make mistakes with it at 10 years old than 40 years old. 10 years old with like five bucks uh, instead of 40 years old with 50,000 bucks, right? Wouldn't you rather be making the mistake now?
0: So because I feel $5, like- $5 mistakes rather than the $50,000 mistakes. Yes, please. And yeah. and those are the real lessons
1: that we remember. I think if, if we both think back to being a, a kid- we're only, we're, we we remember more lessons for things that we did well or messed up on than things our parents told us to do, right? Because we know that we can only tell them so much. Uh, they really have to experience it. So by giving them money, letting them mess up with it uh, and have some trial and error, I think that's really the best way we've taught our kids about money so far.
0: And I love the split, right? The conversations that happen with, okay, go spend your money, think about it, but you know, ultimately, it's your money to spend, right? Versus saving. What's the difference between it? saving, you know, in this bucket versus investing in this bucket? And then I think one thing you were talking about on social media that I saw was like they get to pick the charity that they contribute to. Can you talk a bit about that? I think it was Zoe. It was Zoe's time to pick, and she was going through that. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So once a quarter, we get together for our big give and we look at all the money that they had. Originally, it was in physical jars, but now we do the digital jars just because it's a little easier. And what we do is we sit down, we go over and we look how much money they have. It could be 12 bucks, could be $10, whatever they've accumulated over that period of time. And we get some milkshakes and we have a little bit of fun. And then we, we, we talk about what they're thankful for in their life. You know, um, Calvin loves the roof over his head. He loves that he's able to sleep in a warm house. Uh, So for him, he wanted to give to a charity called, say, Detroit uh, locally here in Michigan that helps people who are homeless uh, find a a place to live. Zoe, Zoe's heart is called towards animals. So she wants to give to the World Wildlife Foundation. And so having conversations about about what they're interested in or what they're thankful for, what they like. Uh, Is a great place to start for us. And if they don't know, or if they say, I don't know, you know, I pick uh, two or three charities that they might be interested in, go on their website, show them videos about what they'd be contributing to and how they'd be helping. Because I think these types of conversations spur more, uh, I guess, growth for somebody as a young person than uh, other conversations. Because I think at this point in time, they're going to be learning what they really care about, what they want to do, what wrong they want to write in the world as they grow older. And maybe that will help them to move towards a career or a cause or a passion that they love and in turn maybe have a career that they love and not be in a position like their dad was where they needed to find their way out of a career. So I I guess we're trying to align their passions and let them know that I, I would I believe a true path to happiness is service and giving back um, and whether that's on a podcast like you are with financial feminist or uh, physically giving to a charity or, or volunteer work I think doing service in the world is a really great way to to bring the happiness uh, not only for yourself but the people you're, you're impacting
0: yeah I always joke I can never get through a podcast episode without crying you said so many. No, you said so many beautiful things. Literally, the your thing about like taking your kids and going to get milkshakes—it's gonna make me cry. But my vending machine business, like I went out with my dad a Saturday once a month, right? And like that was our time where we went out every Saturday morning, you know, f- once a month Saturday morning for God, eleven years. Like we did that for so long together, right? And like, yes, it was, you know, getting the money and getting the quarters out of the vending machines, but it was the conversations that we had and the time we spent together and the things I learned, right? And so I think even just like, yeah, your milkshake memory immediately, like that that brings back all of the memories that I had with my dad of having really good conversations about about everything but then also you know about how to manage money and i what i really do appreciate too is it's it opens up these conversations i think again we think money is taboo or intimidating or scary especially if we have this perspective with ourselves that money is scary how how are we going to teach kids that money about money right and i think you're doing it in a beautiful really accessible way where it's like, let's find again, let's find the things that you care about. Let's have conversations about how the world works. Let's talk about problems that are outside of our house that we, you know, hopefully help, you know, solve. I I think I just think that's absolutely beautiful. And it's such a like sustainable way. It's literally like it's making me emotional. It's such a sustainable way to to have these conversations, especially for for kids who, you know, are are trying to figure out how like how the world works. You know, it's just beautiful.
1: Yeah and, and and knowing that they come from a privileged background is important for us to talk about as well. You know, there are there are kids just your age that are you know in a different situation. So if we have the means, if our if our cup is full, you know, what can we do to uh, give to some other folks that maybe don't have as much.
0: Yeah, and open up yeah, those conversations through money, through this potentially intimidating thing. I think that's, yeah, that's beautiful. Have you started including, especially Zoe, I know Zoe's older. Have you started including them in conversations around like specifically investing or financial independence, or is it too early for those conversations? I would say
1: Zoe and I are at the sort of the initial stages of talking about what investing really is. Besides, hey, Dad puts a little bit of money in this investing thing, and then that goes into Vanguard or whatever. For her, we've played around. So I have her on my podcast every once in a once a once a month, and we do a little money quiz. So we talk about important things that are going on there, and I do it in a in a kid friendly way. And so we, la- I think it was last month, we talked about we talked about how prices are very expensive expensive for homes right now, and people are having a difficult time. Getting getting the home, you know. So for for her, we talked about why we have an investing bucket for her. So we say, hey, that money that we have for your investing bucket, it's essentially a kids brokerage account, a UTMA with um, with Vanguard. We talk about, okay, if we let this grow over the next, call it twenty years, let's see what happens in this calculator. So I'll pull up a compound interest calculator, and I'll say, hey, based on what you have right now, and if we keep putting money into it this will grow to this level and allow you to be able to, you know, have essentially a home down payment. And so we put in the numbers and I hit the calculate button and I, I she made an audible, whoa, when she saw, when she saw the, the, the the compound interest chart do its thing. And it was like 20 years. And then she, go, she goes to me, dad, hey, dad, well, what about three years? And I said, well, compound interest doesn't work that great in three years, but let's see what it does. So we put it in there and she's like, and her twenty five hundred dollars went to three thousand dollars or something like that. She's like, "Oh, okay." She's like, "Okay, so we got to leave it in there for a long time." And I said, "Yes." So it's just conversations like that, very initial stages. I'm not going to like crack the you know crack the code here at ten. You're not doing
0: the seven to eight percent interest and the four percent withdrawal rate and also inflation, right? You're not doing that. But shit. it's just
1: conversations to let her know that big goals needs some time for investing. And a big goal for for her would be home ownership. That would be sort of her first thing when in her late 20s, 30s, whatever it is, ends up being. And so that's her first investing goal that we're trying to talk to her about. Um, and that's important, which is fun.
0: Yeah. In what concrete ways are those uh, conversations different with Zoe than with Calvin? Because he's a couple years younger.
1: Yeah, I would say at seven years old, um, Calvin is drawn to the conversation about charitable giving, um, and so we have a lot more conversations about that. Uh, he's not; he he doesn't grasp as much of the investing stuff, but he's got he's got the, the the hey, I've got a certain amount of money on my on my debit card that I can spend. And I need to make sure I check with dad first to look at the balance to make sure I don't overspend it. And I have a bunch of money in my savings and I'm very excited about buying a computer like my sister just bought. So things like that are, are pretty fun to have with him right now.
0: Yeah, you find it's a little more... Yeah, spending motivated, it sounds like. Yeah. Or spending and like giving motivated. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah. He gets excited when it's when it's the big give time. He gets really excited. He's been giving to say Detroit for three years uh now. And he actually got invited on Mitch Album's uh live radio show at four years old uh for his, I think it was a seven dollar donation that he did to save say Detroit. Oh it was one of the coolest <laughs> moments of my life to be able to be there next to my son while he's being interviewed by mitch album about his donation
0: i'm like crying again that's so cool very cool we'll link it we'll maybe find the interview we send us on youtube it's got like
1: reviews it's probably me and you and my mom (laughs)
0: we'll give it more views oh i'm so excited i can't wait i'm literally gonna go watch it after this oh he's the cutest that'll be so fun oh my gosh so for you with like coast fire with managing your money, helping your kids manage money. How has your perspective generally changed from when you first started this journey to now as a husband and a father and also someone who is of course trying to grow your independence for your own goals? Like what what sort of mindset shifts have happened from you know the first day you got started to now?
1: Yeah. In the beginning, it was like, okay, what can I do to protect my family and give them a great life? And I think I went from protection to, okay, how can I have more time with them now, now that I've protected them? How can I change my life? How can I change my financial situation so that I can own more of my time? And that became my driving force for uh, 10 years. uh, And until I made my transition out of corporate America a few years ago, and went from a whatever forty to sixty hour week to a twenty five hour work week as a as a solopreneur uh, at home, and it was good timing because the pandemic came around and the kids were home from school for a really long time, and and it was just ideal because I needed to be home, and and that that ability to do that was was great. So I, I think it went from. What can I do to protect them? To what can I do to own more of my time so that I can be a present father and let them have memories like you have with your dad, where you're where you're just around and you're able to be there for those conversations, those those moments when when they want to talk to you about that thing that happened at school and 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 you're there to listen to it. And it's it's been really a blessing to be able to own more of my time. Uh, to be the P- I'm the PTO treasurer right now I'm the assistant soccer coach uh, for my son's team it's just those little moments where I'm involved in the community I'm there for those conversations and I, now I'm obsessed with owning more of my time and and also doing work that fulfills me and giving back and helping people so that's that's the shift of the conversation uh, at least from my from my perspective and then from for my wife she during the time when I went back to, you know, say hey, I'm gonna go for this entrepreneurship thing full time, she she graciously said, Okay, well, I'll go back part-time after the stay-at-home mom thing and then eventually full-time. And now, now that we've gotten to a position of of more financial stability together, she's going back to school. She wants to try to be an esthetician. That's her goal right now. She wants to do a complete career change and say, Hey, I'm gonna do something completely new. So with that stability and plan and and these great conversations we've been able to have, she's going back to school for six months and yeah, and she's excited about a new career path. So uh, lots of things happening here at the Hill House.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think last time I chatted with you, because I interviewed you for for my book, um, I think you were in the pickup line, yeah, right? You were picking was. up, was it Zoe yeah, or Calvin yeah, from school? Yeah, both of them. Yeah,
1: they still yeah. go to the, same, they go to the uh, same elementary school. Yep, yep.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so that flexibility, right, that, that it offers you, I think is so powerful and so cool.
1: Absolutely. I've I definitely, uh, I would say probably... Uh, uh, of the 10% of dads that are there. It's a lot, lot, a lot, of moms. So it's, it's a, it's a nice thing to, I guess, have some diversity of, uh, of who they're seeing for the pickup. And now, now my wife and I kind of split it. So I, I drop them off in the morning and the, Nicole picks them up at the end of the day. So I, I think it's important for them to have a great relationship with both of us.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that, actually diversity, you and I have discussed this a little bit, are you finding that you're having to have or you are wanting to have different conversations about money with Zoe who's a, you know who's a girl than Calvin who's a boy? Like what's because I I think a lot of the things I see is it's like if you're taught about money at all, boys are taught very different things about money than girls are, right? So like are you having different conversations with her? What does that look like? I think
1: uh, both Nicole and I have conversations with her about Uh, The importance of her having her own independence with money uh, as a young woman and the, I guess, the power that comes with that uh, so that when she is a young woman, she can make a lot of choices that are best for her, whether that is in a romantic relationship or a business relationship where she doesn't feel stuck either way. That is the last thing that I want for my daughter. Um, and, and with that comes the strength that she's going to give to herself. I mean, it's less of financial, you know, female financial empowerment and more of like, she's going to come out empowered. You know, she's going to, she's already powerful. <laughs> she's such I, I, I love her. I'm like the biggest Zoe fan, but she's just, she, she's growing up knowing that she has control of her own des- destiny. And, and with that, from the financial side, She's got her own money in her own hand. She's going to spend it how she wants to spend it. And yes, you know, with some oversight for for mom and dad that she's not doing anything uh, out of bounds, but we want her to have that power early uh, so that she can make some moves that are best for her as a young woman.
0: Right. And we know from statistics that, you know, especially with like, Violent, romantic relationships, we know that the number one reason women aren't able to leave is because they financially are not able to you know they can't afford an apartment on their own. They don't have access to their own bank account. they don't they don't even yeah, they don't have access to their own money or their dependence on somebody else for that money. So I think, yeah, that's that's so, so, so crucial and important, yeah.
1: And it's a societal stiff shift that's still happening. I mean, it wasn't until like the mid 70s that women women couldn't get credit cards in their own name that had to be in their husband's name. So, I mean, that's not that long ago, really. I mean, when you think about it. So a lot of that still lingers and um, we are all about empowering her to be the, you know, the steward of her own life. So
0: I love that. What's been the the most surprising thing about teaching your kids about money?
1: Oh, I would say uh, sometimes my wife reminds me, like where I'm like, oh, you know, I, I really want to make sure that Zoe understands this concept or this concept. She, my wife, c- continues to remind me. She goes, "Hey, pal, they're light years ahead of some other kids their age." I'm like, okay, yeah, you're oh, right. Oh, right.
0: god, yeah. The fact that you're even talking <laughs> about money in general, even if you didn't teach them any concepts. yeah. Huge. So I
1: have to, I have to calm myself down. But some of the things that I'm, I'm excited about that I didn't even think about, uh, you know, becoming a parent is. All of the different investing goals that you can take advantage of for children at a young age, if you have the the extra dollars and the means to do, we're investing for both of them in three different ways. We're investing for their college through a 529. We're investing for that home down payment through a kids brokerage account, and then we're investing uh, for their future retirement through a Roth IRA. They can only do that if they have earned income, and since they are a part of my business as co-hosts, uh, photography talent, and videographers for my for my social media, uh, we can invest for their future retirement at seven for eventually for their 65. Talk about compound I interest. I
0: love it, Andy. Oh, it's so, so good. Just
1: breaking up those investing goals. When you know, when we talk about the time frame of compound interest, rows, like, hey, the earlier you start, the better off. How about how about zero years old? I mean, like that that's a great, it's a great age to start for college investing. So you got 20 years before you need that money or whatever it was for Calvin, five years old for Roth IRA. That's a big time frame to let compound interest do its thing. And then hopefully by that time, they have the habits of contributing 10% of their money, 15%, whatever it ends up being to those buckets, because they know that's just what I do with money so that I can have these things later on in life.
0: I think it's so important to touch on, and you can speak to this uniquely, as someone who was you know, chasing financial independence or pursuing financial independence while also, of course, trying to take care of kids. I see this especially with mothers, is that they often unknowingly sacrifice their own retirement in order to try to save for their children's college. Because typically, they've had student loans. They're like, I don't want to do that to my kid, so I'm going to try to get them as close to debt-free as possible. And often, of course, what happens is that they are not contributing as much as they need for retirement. And what I tell them often, it sucks to take out student loans. Like, it sucks. It's not a fun thing. But your child can take out student loans. They, they have that option. There is no retirement loan, right? And retirement is the biggest expense of your life. So for you, in terms of, like, prioritizing, what did that look like in your life between like making sure your own oxygen mask was was good before you tried to help your kids, you know, establish their their financial standing?
1: Yeah, I would say that is a very very good point to make because I think some people are say, well, at least my kids will have it better than I will. But your kids still might be taking care of you in retirement then if you do not have the money set aside to take care of yourself and we do have a retirement crisis on our hands currently and in the next couple of decades, for sure. So I would say a lot of these conversations about Roth IRAs for your kids or UTMAs or uh, things like that are really nice to have, but you definitely need to take care of your retirement first. And you should say, hey, whether that's a certain percentage that I'm always going to be contributing to my retirement, that's fantastic. Or if you eventually get to this coast fire kind of situation where you're like, I don't have to worry about that anymore, that's fantastic. But yes, I would echo that a hundred percent that taking care of your future retirement needs, making sure you have money set aside for emergencies because you don't want to in your sixties or seventies or eighties come to your kids to say, I need to live with you. I don't have any more money or, Hey, I need, I need some financial assistance. Hey, remember I paid for that college. I need that assistance now. It's like, no, take advantage of the time that you have decades before you're retiring to take advantage of compound interest because like you said, there are no retirement loans. So for, for us, I would say, you know, we did our best to make sure that we're going to be set for retirement. And then now we're, we are privileged enough to be able to take advantage of these nice things for our kids. And when I say, you know, contributing to their accounts, it's, very micro at this point I mean uh, uh, my my late mother-in-law started the brokerage account for each of my kids with a thousand dollars in each of them and then since then it's just been a portion of the kids you know uh, chore money that goes into it each month but over time it starts to build which is which is really neat for them to see so these aren't wildly large accounts I think maybe you know both the kids have like a, a couple grand in, in each of their brokerages but I think having the conversations and talking about where they go eventually is pretty exciting.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. And again, with compound interest, right? It's, it's like even, you know, a couple dollars is time is more important than the amount of money. So that'll grow into something later. We've touched on this a bit, but for you, everybody has that like why or that motivation with, you know, getting their finances together, becoming financially independent. What is your why and has it changed over time?
1: It's definitely changed over time. There was a period of time where my, Wife wanted to move out of our my bachelor pad, my bachelor pad bungalow, and move to a nicer suburb when we had our when we were um, expecting our second child. And for me, at that point, I was like, I don't, I don't want to. I'm, I, I, I've got this job that I don't like and a mortgage that I don't really even want to pay for. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get a bigger mortgage with a, you know, more responsibility. And so for us at that time, my, my why was like. Get me out of this situation where I feel like I need to have this job that I have, or that I need to be paying this bigger, you know, mortgage payment. And, and since since I had that why at that period of time, it was a conversation that Nicole and I had. I said, okay, we'll do this house thing, but we got to pay this thing off fast because the first go around, first go around I had with home was no good, and now I feel trapped. And that was an agreement that we had. So so my why at that time was like, get me out, get me out of the situation. I love my my wife and I love my kids. I didn't want out of that. I wanted the I wanted out of the pressure of needing to make the amount of money I was making and working in a career that I didn't like. So for me, it went from a I need independence. And now I, my my why is is really to help my kids uh, have a great life, honestly. I want to continue to teach them ways to not need to worry about their financial situation or not need to worry about where they're working uh, and really just enjoy life a little bit more so that they can give back, so that they can do work that really fulfills them. So I went from a position of restriction uh, to uh, a position of being able to help and teach my kids.
0: Yeah. Not to like psychoanalyze you. I feel like it was very like scarcity driven. It sounds like in the early days rather than abundance, right? Yeah. So it was like, it was feeling pressure or feeling like, yeah, how am I going to make this work as opposed to now? Especially it sounds like Nicole's, I think, influenced this a little bit, but it's like, how do we enjoy what we have right now?
1: And now, since I'm doing work that I love, Nicole and I have sort of flipped (laughs) of like, I'm like, hey, let's go on more vacations. Let's let's buy this hot tub. Let's get this new car. Like we've spent... When I, when I say we, I, I've I've definitely been the the uh, the instigator of spending a lot over the past two years. And Nicole and I talked about it. She's like, "Yeah, it's because you like what you do, and you're not worried as much." So I we went from saving fifty percent of our income for ten, like almost ten years on average, to about saving ten percent of our income now. And I'm not worried at all. I, it, we went yeah, fifty percent to ten percent, and I feel great about it. We're saving a lot less, and we're still on this. Family financial independence journey, but it's different now. It's different now, and yes, we're appreciative of all the heavy lifting that that income did for us, and 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 all the things that we we're able to do. Uh, but uh, but now, yeah, we don't need to save as much.
0: I have like the industry question because for so long you were very public. Like, okay, I'm doing this blog, I'm running this business about financial independence. Did you get any flack from anybody when you like reeled it back?
1: Yes, I did. Yeah. I got some notes that are saying, hey, you were so hardcore about fire and your financial independence. And now all I hear you talk about is, you know, spending and and enjoying your money. You know, what's up? I mean, it's like it's like you did all these things and you you don't appreciate all that they did for you. And, And so it was interesting. It was it was it was it was a thoughtful comment. Um, it wasn't, you know, attacking and such, but yeah, I've, I got a, I got a bit of that. So I, I responded. I actually did. One of my most popular episodes is is called Fifty Percent to Ten Percent, and it's it's that transition of going from I need to save because I want out to Wow, I, I enjoy my my every day, and now saving and investing a little bit is is totally fine uh, because we're enjoying more of our time today. Uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah, I got I got a little flack from that. But I think that if I can be a promoter of utilizing your money to enjoy your life, I think that's more important than a hardcore savings.
0: <laughs> Agreed. And I say industry question because I think. You know, unless you're in the personal finance world, like this is this like this doesn't really matter. But I think there is this weird glorification of like deep sacrifice and of like don't have nice things to like increase your savings percentage. And of course that's not what we do here at HFK. Like we don't do that shit. But like it weirdly in the personal finance community, like it's it's lauded and chased of like basically you should make your life miserable and you shouldn't use toilet paper and you should do all these like crazy things in order to save money.
1: <laughs> brown bananas. <laughs> I don't know if you're, I don't know if you remember that brown bananas. Uh, it was like uh, wall street journal or New York times, like a big piece. And it was about, about the fire movement, and unfortunately, it got that sort of. She
0: was lived in Seattle yeah. too. Brown, brown, brown banana lady lived in that was, Seattle. That was a bummer. Still might be. I mean,
1: and, may, and maybe they misquoted her, and they kind of gave her, you know, the they like grabbed one headline that sounded really, but that's.
0: Can you remind us what it is? Can you explain what that headline was? Well,
1: essentially, the 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 newspaper article was about the fire movement. It was sort of an overall view of here is what it's all about, and and the unfortunate example they used was. This woman who was quoted was talking about, "Hey, I wait until the bananas have expired, just just a few days after they've expired at the grocery store, so that I can get them for thirty-five cents instead of seventy cents, something like that." And that was their definition or or their their example of the fire movement. And unfortunately, I think that was an unfair um, depiction. It was probably an unfair uh, depiction of the woman too, and all that she had done. To, you know, get get the position she was in. I feel like, you know, it it makes for good press to make fun of people sometimes. Unfortunately, I think that that, that's part of what the fire movement is. It's it's big savings rates and a little bit of deprivation to get there for a for a payoff at the end. Unfortunately, I've spoken to a lot of people in the fire movement that at the end of that rainbow, it's not as sunshiny as they were expecting. So. I, having learned from that i just, i decided over the past 5 years and with with help from my wife that why don't we start to s- seep some of that Stuff that you're hoping for at the end of retirement or the end of tr- early retirement now to see if you even like it. Oh, when I when I early retire, I'm going to learn to play the guitar. Why don't you try to take a couple guitar lessons right now to see if you actually will even do right, it? Right, and figure out if you actually want to. Or do it. Wh- we're going to go we're going to go on the biggest va- epic vacation. Why don't we go to on like a vacation now because while well, we have the opportunity to make memories with our kids? So I think I I learned a lot during the path, and I've sort of come back from the. From the, the, the fire mountain and coming back down being like, hey, it's, you know, you can make your own version. You don't have to be so hardcore, F, you know, find some work you love. If you really don't like your job right now, try to try to find something else.
0: Yeah. And also one deprivation isn't the answer, right? Like we know diets fail. Exactly, We know that psychologically, right? And the other thing I think that is extremely important to mention here is like, especially with like that brown banana idea. This is a choice and it's glorified as, you know, something that a smart person does in order to save money when that is the actual real life, like that's not a choice for millions of people, right? So this like sacrifice deprivation that gets glorified for certain people is the very thing that many people, that's their everyday life that they're also then shamed for, for not being able to save more money, right? So I think that that's one criticism that um, I think is very necessary and, you know, is part of the conversation as it's like, you can't glorify some behavior just because this person makes six figures, but only lives on, you know, a very small amount of money when in actuality, like, yeah, these sorts of sacrifices or decisions that this person is making optionally are this other person's Required everyday, you know, like that's their only option. Uh You know, that's not a choice anymore. I agree.
1: Yeah, and and if we we get to that point where we've saved so much that we don't have to work anymore and we can live on our twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year in investments, I think a lot of us would want to try to find some work that brought us some happiness and meaning too. So, if we can find a way to do that earlier, uh, that that can be a great that can be a great path and. Everybody's situation's different. Everybody, especially geography. I mean, we're talking from Seattle to Michigan. The cost of living situation is very different.
0: And I'm in New York City right now. I'm recording this in New York City. So things are very different. Yeah. And and again, there's, as we've talked about a million times, there's only so much about personal finance you can actually control, right? Very little of it is actually personal decisions. Most of it is, you know, your circumstances and your privilege or lack thereof. And so, you know, of the things you can control, it's like, how do we hopefully optimize them to give you the best life possible and to to make sure that, you know, you're balancing saving while also not completely depressing yourself of everything that brings yeah, you joy absolutely. And I think you've you found a happy balance of that. If parents are listening, what's like the biggest piece of advice you have for raising financially minded smart kids?
1: Oh yeah, I would say the biggest piece of advice I would have for parents who are looking to help their kids you know be smart with money or just you know have, have that uh, have that knowledge is to allow them to make mistakes with money. I just make I just make it easy right there. Put money in their hands after they've earned it, which is good, but allow them to make mistakes with it. If they went and used that ten dollars that they got from birthday money and bought ten dollars worth of gumballs and now they don't have enough money to, you know, to buy the toy they want, that's a lesson right there. That's something that they're gonna learn to be like, oh, okay, if I if I used some of it for a candy and some of it for the other thing. Those those are the learning lessons that as adults, if we didn't have a lot of chance to Play around with money, or learn with, learn with money. That we're going to learn with our first, you know, paycheck of thousands of dollars, or our car, or whatever. And that's going to be a much more painful. So let them make mistakes early with their money, and they're going to learn from it. And it's going to be fantastic for the future. I think I think that goes well with anything. You know, put it in people's hands and and, and let them let them figure it out. Honestly, trial and error. It's a great way to learn.
0: Yeah. Andy, so appreciative of you, of your work, of your vulnerability, all of it. Thank you. Where can people find you?
1: Yeah, I have a podcast called Marriage, Kids & Money. If you're listening to this podcast right now, just type in Marriage, Kids & Money in your favorite podcast player. If you want to learn how we paid off our mortgage in under five years, I have a free gift for your audience at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash free gift. It's free. It's just the 10 steps that we took to to pay it off and uh, find our own version of family financial independence.
0: Amazing. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Tori. Thank you again to Andy Hill for joining us for this episode. Whether you have kids, plan to have kids, are the cool childless aunt to your friend's kids, I'm waving really hard, or want nothing to do with kids. (laughs) I hope you got something out of that episode. If you want to learn more about Andy or follow his work, we've linked his platforms on our show notes page, along with some more resources, including our favorite money tools, articles, and so much more. Seriously, if you're skipping all the show notes, you're missing a lot. And while you're still here, please make sure to follow and subscribe to Financial Feminist if you haven't already. Leaving a review as well, probably, hopefully, a positive one, because if you don't like the show, don't listen to the show. But leaving a positive review is one of the best things you can do to let us know if you're enjoying the show and let others know that you recommend it. If you're not sure what to write in these reviews, let us know maybe your dream guests or topics share a money win with us it doesn't have to be anything fancy we have so much more coming your way financial feminists thanks for your support of the show thanks for listening and we'll catch you later thank you for listening to financial feminist a her first 100k podcast financial feminist is hosted by me tori dunlap produced by kristen fields marketing and administration by karina patel olivia Koning, sharice wade alina hilzer paulina isaac sophia cohen Valerie Oresco, Jack Koning, and Anna Alexandra. Research by Arielle Johnson. Audio engineering by Austin Fields. Promotional graphics by Mary Stratton. Photography by Sarah Wolfe. And theme music by Jonah Cohen Sound. A huge thanks to the entire Her First 100K team and community for supporting the show. For more information about Financial Feminist, Her First 100K, our guests, episode show notes, and our upcoming book, also titled Financial Feminist, visit herfirst100k.com.